Consider this wonderful psalm, a personal favorite of mine and, and maybe for many of you, Psalm 127. And while you're finding your way there, I, I do want to just communicate how excited I am for our annual prayer week beginning next Sunday. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do in my life personally, but I'm excited to see what He's going to do in, in our church as a congregation. Um, one thing, one resource we're going to be providing is this week you're going to receive an email with a prayer guide throughout the week praying for various ministries as well as uh, seeking to adore God in prayer. So hopefully you get our emails. If you don't, you could sign up at the uh, welcome desk out there in the foyer and that way you can get that prayer guide which will be coming out later this week. So Psalm 127, you'll find that on page 518 if you're using the Pew Bible. And may God bless our time in His Word. Here now the Word of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Our Father, we're thankful for your word, which we now can consider. And we pray that you would bless us in doing so. And so speak through me according to your abundant kindness, and speak into us through your indwelling spirit, we ask in Christ's name, amen. This mo- last Monday, January 15th, the nation recognized uh, the contributions of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, as, of course, this man of great courage stood against the spiteful racism that so long spread oppression in our country. Six days later, as you know, today we find ourselves uh, recognizing the sanctity of human life on, on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, a day in which we remind ourselves of the carnage that has been brought about by the past 45 years of abortion on demand in the United States, a day in which we in many ways mourn the almost 60 million Americans that have lost their lives since January 22nd, 1973. I think it's interesting to me that these two dates... That Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Sanctity of Human Life Day are so close to each other. I think the sins in which they fight against are very related. It's John Piper who says, The voice of racism announces, My race is more valuable than yours, therefore I have rights to treat you as inferior or undesirable. And the voice of abortion says, My life is more important than yours, therefore I have the right to end your life if you are undesirable. I think both of those voices speak uh, an abhorrent evil. But even beyond that, I think they espouse heresy. Even as I shared a number of months ago, as we considered briefly the events in Charlottesville. I think it's heresy that, that racism and abortion is heresy for the same reason. That is that both are attack on, on the truth that every human is endowed with the image of God. 
And therefore, the, your value and your dignity and worth doesn't depend upon your skin color or your, your ancestry or the land of your birth. Nor do, does your value come from your level of development or your, your relative size or your state of dependency. And so I think we as Christians, because we believe that all humans are endowed with God's image, would deny emphatically that an African is worth, uh, worth less or more than a European. And we would at the same time deny that the unborn is worth more or less than an adult or a, a teenager. That our value comes from the fact we are made in God's likeness. Now, if you reject this truth, that humans bear God's image, if you affirm that we are just simply complex organisms, then my question would be, well, then what gives us any value at all? Well, what are you left with? Well, you're left with things like race. You're left with things like ability. You're left with things like level of development. By the way, history bears that out. And so Aristotle, for instance... Uh, said that some races did not have the capacity for higher reason, and therefore they were fit to be enslaved. That's been a lie that has been throughout, that continues even to this day in parts of our world. In the Roman world, where Christianity grew up, the poor were not cared for, they were not worth it. Infanticide, through exposure, was common. The elderly and the sick were often left to die, and abortion, which of course was a very dangerous practice at this time, was legal and somewhat common. And then something amazing happened. A strange group of people throughout the Roman Empire began to emerge. They called themselves Christians. And they affirmed the value of every single individual because they thought every single individual was made in the image of God. And so they began to fight against infanticide. The Christians would literally go out to the garbage dump where people would leave their babies, usually girls. And they would pick up those babies and bring them into their home and raise them as their own. They began to care for the poor. They began to care for widows. They would take widows into their community and say, we will support you. They cared for orphans and the weak and the sick. They even fought against racism. In fact, the greatest apostle of Christianity, a Jewish man, was an apostle to the Gentiles. And this community of people began to, to break down century-long uh, racism as they even had table fellowship, Jew and Gentile together living in community, referring to one another as brother and sister. And from the very beginning as well, they stood against abortion because they affirmed the sanctity of human life. And in doing all this, they put the Roman world to shame. It was the Roman emperor Julian he was so upset in how Christianity was growing and paganism was declining. He wrote a letter to his friend and he said these words, Why do we not observe how the kindness of Christians to, uh, a kindness of Christians to strangers has done the most to advance their cause? For it is disgraceful, he says, when Christians support our poor in addition to their own. Well, why do they do it? Because they believed all humans are endowed with God's image. I believe that too. And so I will today, as I have every third Sunday since I began preaching the year 2007, I will tell you, I hope lovingly and emphatically, that God values all human life. And it is precious to him. It has value and dignity and worth in his eyes because they are all made in his likeness. In particular, I want to talk about children today. 
I want to speak about children for two reasons. The first, I think, is obvious. This is kind of Monday will be, I think, the anniversary of the Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade, and abortion, which scars many, by the way, including men and parents and grandparents and friends and doctors and the mothers who, once they have an abortion, are four times more likely to commit suicide than before they had an abortion. But, of course, the greatest casualty of abortion is the children who are aborted. Please understand that abortion is not rare, even though it is out of sight. In America, 22% of pregnancies in, in this land are ended through abortion. That's one out of every five child who has been conceived and who is viable in this country. Their life is taken through this process. And so I want you to hear today these painful truths. I want you to do it so that you might be moved to... To, to continue to stand for life, maybe even through helping a ministry such as Mosaic. But I also want to tell you the painful truth today because I want to prepare you for when you find yourself in one of these crises. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your ch- child, whether it's your grandchild, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your friend, and they come and you find yourself in this situation and everyone's encouraging, even demanding abortion, and the devil's whispering his forked tongue lies in your ear. This is the only option for you. I want this truth to be in your heart, what abortion is, what it does, and the understanding that there are always people that are willing to help. There are always, you are never alone. They call abortion the secret killer. Please understand, you are never Alone, There is a community of people, one namely here, Hamilton Baptist Church, who would love to help in those situations. In fact, I not only want you to hear the painful truth today, I want you to rejoice in amazing grace today. One out of three American women have, have had an abortion. One out of six consider themselves born-again Christians. And so what that means is that therefore, there is no doubt in my mind that there's almost certainly one or more women here in this room who have had an abortion. And then there are, of course, the men here who have perhaps pressured abortion or parents who have demanded abortion or friends who have supported abortion. And I want you, if you, if you are in any of those categories, please hear me loud and clear. God is a forgiving God. He delights to forgive. And we could consider many different passages in Scripture, but let me just share Isaiah 43, when the Bible says of God, I am he who blots out your transgressions. I remember your sins no more. So any individual who, who is in Christ, who carries the guilt of being involved in abortion, please understand, Christ has endured the penalty for that act. And that, that, that everything you hear today, all of it, needs to be heard through the lens of the truth recorded in this passage, I remember your sins no more. You need to hear that, you need to root that in your heart. Now, I understand, listen, it's good to hate the sins of our past. That's a powerful deterrent from committing them again. And moreover, when we understand the sins of our past, you know what that does? That exalts our wonder in the one who would save us from it. 
And so we understand sin in order to understand what Christ has done. I'm reminded of the woman who anoints his feet in Luke chapter 7 in the the middle of the Pharisee's home. and, And Jesus says of her, I tell you the truth, her sins, which are many, right? He doesn't deny it or reject it, which her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Right? The more you realize what Christ has forgiven you of, the more you will be compelled to love him in wonder of amazing grace. He is a forgiving God. Even beyond that, by the way, he's a restoring God. I don't ever think that God looks at you with a big scarlet A, He's not scowling at you from heaven with his arms folded or wagging a finger. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's the gospel. You've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. And so I will, I will say, as I've said over, over a decade now, the gospel is the best news in the world for anyone who condemns themselves for being involved in abortion. You need to hear the gospel today. Let that be rooted in your heart. So I, wanted, I want to hear the painful truth today. I want to consider and rejoice in amazing grace today. And, and, and you know what? I want to be confident of a certain hope today. Many thought 1973, Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, that's the final decision. Give it a year, give it a decade, and everybody will just embrace this. This is the way things are. And yet this issue continues, doesn't it? As many of you experienced this Friday at the March for Life, the issue has not gone away. It continues to be one of the central focal points in every presidential election. In fact, I have hope that the tide is turning. There are now more more Americans identify themselves as pro-life than pro-choice. That's within the last five years, the first time that has ever been the case. Recent poll found out that 60% of Americans think abortion should be legal in only a few circumstances, and only 23% of Americans think that abortion should be legal under all circumstances. And this, by the way, is not just coming from Christians. It's coming from, from all over the world, and particularly younger people. Consider this quote. Abortions have reached such appalling proportions in America as to be beyond belief. You think, well, what pastor said that? Well, it wasn't a pastor at all. It was a woman named Emma Goldman who identifies herself as an anarcho-communist atheist. That interested. Or consider Nate Hentoff, a left-wing civil libertarian who just died last year. He said, I am obviously a pro-lifer, not for religious reasons, but because I'm an atheist who can read biology. Fascinating to me. I have hope that, that the younger generation is rising up, and now in the, 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 the days of the ultrasound, we could understand that that is a child in the womb. New York Magazine says the current generation of younger voters is the most pro-life to come along since the Great Depression. So I have hope, and by the way, I have hope not just because of the polls, I have hope because there is no such thing as permanent evil. One day Jesus will come, Satan will be condemned, and evil will end, including abortion, forever. And so we ought to have hope, and perhaps one of the things we pray for in ending this scourge upon our land is the return of Christ. Okay? So I want to talk to you about what the, the, the value of children in light of abortion. But I said there's two reasons I want to talk to you about the value of children. The other is, is the other reason I want to talk to you about is not so much abortion, it's just simply that God loves children. 
He loves all people, but he seems to have this wonderful love for kids. And, and as we discard the image of God, I think children, even those outside the womb, become marginalized and easily dismissed. And so I want to consider the joy of children as Scripture teaches this, this morning, because increasingly they're, they're being cast aside. You know, perhaps the slogan of Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in America, every child you know, a wanted child, right? You've heard that before. And what, what they're saying is with the availability, availability of abortion, uh, you could avoid having babies you don't want to have. You could only have the ones that you want. Well, you know, understand the, the, the truth behind that. You know, the, what they're saying is that, we're, that children are now a product to assess rather than a blessing to embrace, and, and I don't think that attitude stops once the child is born. And certainly not in the scholarly community. Dr. James Watson, who discovered the double helix structure of the DNA, has said, if a child were not declared alive until three days after birth, then the doctor could allow the child to die if the parents so chose and save a lot of misery and suffering. He concludes by saying, I believe this is the only rational, compassionate attitude to have. Extraordinary. That's the compassion. <laughs> compassionate, perhaps, on the parents. I'm not quite sure. But certainly not the child. Or Dan, Dr. Francis Crick, who says, no newborn infant should be declared human until it has passed certain tests. And if it fails these tests, it forfeits its life, right to live. And just this week, I was listening on NPR. And... Uh, there was professor, the Stanford professor, Paul Elrich, who said, I found this interesting, having more than two children is like throwing trash into your neighbor's yard. And so this is what we see in the academic community, but it doesn't stay there. There's a great emphasis even uh, of, I don't know, you've seen this uh, undoubtedly of, of the cost of children and the burden that children bring upon you. It was just this month I was um, reading on CNN.com this article that begins, if you're thinking of starting a family, you might be in for sticker shock. Raising a child costs you nearly a quarter million dollars. I don't even want to do the math. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm in trouble. Uh, and I, I listen. I understand children cost money. I shake my head when we get through the McDonald's drive-in and say, "I can't believe I had to spend that much money." I, under, I get it. But it, the point is, is, look at how expensive they are. You got to weigh that costs before you decide what you want to do. And I. I just want you to understand that attitude is totally foreign in Scripture. You will never find any passage in the Bible saying, do you realize how much children cost? Are you sure you want to do this? No, children are unequivocally considered in Scripture to be one of the greatest blessings the Lord could bestow. And so I want us to understand a biblical view of children from Psalm 127. Just to kind of fill you in on this psalm, um, well, let me begin by saying this, I, this will not be a normal kind of normal sermon, normal exegetical sermon. Some of you know what that means. That is, I'm not going to try to explain everything in this psalm, which is what I usually try to do. Or I, I specifically want to target what it's teaching us about children. This is a, a wisdom psalm, by the way. It's not, that is, we're not told to do anything in it. There are no commands in this psalm. It's just simply explaining the way life is. And so in light of that, you might not be surprised that it's one of the two psalms that are attributed to Solomon, the other being Psalm 72. 
It's also, as you see there in the introduction a note in your psalm, it is a, a song of ascent. The Psalms of Ascent begins in Psalm 120, and they go all the way through Psalm 134. And they call them the Songs of Ascent because as the pilgrims, when they'd be coming into Jerusalem to recognize the holy day, they would have to ascend up into Jerusalem. It's high up upon a mountain. And so they would, as they would go to Jerusalem to this religious celebration, they would begin to sing. And undoubtedly many, like Joseph, and took Mary and Jesus, as we know, in the Passover and the rest of their children, they, they would, they would, he, the man would consider this blessing that he has as they move into this city. They would look around and see his children and think of the family in which God has given them. And they would praise God for that. They, they would praise God that their house was being built through the Lord. I think that's the first truth as we consider the biblical understanding of children that houses are built with children. Point number one, as you see in verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So he mentions there, as you see, a house, and he mentions a city. Now, of course, that could mean just places where you live. It could refer to the building in which you, you reside or the community in which you live. And I think there's truth in that. If you if you building one of these structures, you do it without the Lord's in vain. I mentioned a little while ago, I'm, I'm building a, a tree house, right? 22 feet long, 12 feet wide, up in three trees, 10 and a half feet off the ground. And I'll tell you, uh, if I build that without the Lord, it'll be more than in vain, okay? So pray for me. Uh, we're going to need help to keep that up there in the trees. Um, but that, I'm not sure that's exactly what he's referring to when he says the house. Sometimes, in fact, many times in the Bible, you'll find that house doesn't refer to the building which you live in, but it refers to your family in particular your children and your lineage. And so we'll see phrases in Scripture like the house of Abraham or the house of David. In fact, do you remember the time when David actually built a, a literal house, a palace, and he was somewhat convicted because God was still living in the tent out in the tabernacle. And David said, well, why am I living in a house and God's in a tent? I know what I'll do. I'll build God a house. Right? I'll build a temple. Well, God comes to him through the prophet Nathan and says, no, no, David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Well, David already has a house. That's what started this whole thing. But God's not referring to a building. He's referring to children. He's referring to descendants, sons and daughters. And God says he's going to build your family, and which he does through children. And unless the Lord builds the house, right, your labor is in vain, he says. It's a waste of time. You, you can work and build your family. You can be diligent to protect them. You can make sacrifices for them. But unless the Lord is building through your efforts, your home will not become what you want it to be. It will be a labor in vain. So the question then rises, well, how does the Lord build a house? Well, he does so primarily through parents, also through friends and family and church community, certainly, and parents following God's instructions. So in Deuteronomy 6, he tells parents, you need to teach your children the word, right? You need to give them those truths. Are you parents, are you teaching your kids the word? Grandparents, are you opening your Bible with your children and giving them God's truth? Do your children know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? If I were to ask you, tell me in the gospel in 90 seconds, could you give a very clear, succinct understanding of the core of the Christian beliefs? Maybe that'd be a great goal for you this year, to nail down your understanding of the gospel, your ability to verbalize it, and then teach that to your children, and teach that to your, to your grandchildren. 
He te- God uses parents as we obey him and teach them the word, and not just during times of family worship, but as we're constantly applying God's truth to life. We're, we're constantly pointing them to Jesus as we go through life, and not just verbally, but in our deeds. Do they see the gospel lived out at home? Do my kids see the gospel in how I love my wife? Is, is, is the relationship that I have with Allegra, do they, do they observe gentleness and faithfulness and forgiveness and love and, and, and kindness that I tell them is in Jesus? Do they see that modeled before them? When I, when I mess up, when you mess up, do you sit your kids down and say, listen, I need you to understand, the way daddy spoke to mommy was unkind. That was a sin. In fact, I... You, I want you to look up to daddy, but you need to ultimately look up to daddy's savior. Daddy's not a perfect man. Do they hear that? Do they understand? Do, they, do you talk to them about forgiveness? You know, a recent study said 85% of Christian parents admitted they were responsible for their child's spiritual development, yet two-thirds were not personally engaging in any activities that might contribute to that development. Loving your kids is not enough. You need to point them to Christ. That's how God builds his, these houses. In fact, note verse 2. He says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He contrasts anxious toil here with peaceful slumber. And he has this description of people who are working long and they're getting up early and they're going to bed late and, and yet they're still anxious. You note that there in verse 2. They're anxious, they're, they're concerned, how's it all going to work out? You know, what's going to come of my kids? Are, are they going to make the right decision? Are they going to take the right path? And what he says there is that anxiety is in vain. And the reason it's in vain is because ultimately your, your family does not depend upon you, but it depends upon the Lord. And until you realize it is the Lord who is going to bless and the Lord is going to guide and that you do what you're called to do and then you leave it in the hands of the Lord, until you realize that you're going to be anxious. But if you trust God, you know what he gives you. See there in verse 2. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Did, did you know that sleep is a gift from God? In fact, I plan to receive that gift this afternoon. <laughs> and, and many of you receive that gift while I preach. I've noticed that, right? <laughs> That's God's gift. Isn't that wonderful? Right? And God gives. You know the point, though. What he's saying is, listen, you do your job. Mom, dad, grandparents, and at the end of the day, you put your head on the pillow because it is God is the one who built your home. Right? He never counts on you being perfect. You understand that? You sleep well in that knowledge. When, when Allegra and I go to sleep, uh, often uh, I'll lean over and I'll, I'll place a hand upon her and I'll pray to her. And she's heard this prayer over and over again, but it, it often goes something like this. Father, we're going to sleep now, um, but you're not. And you, you will neither sleep nor slumber, and I cannot protect my family, watch over them, or guide them. But we're going to put our heads on our pillow and close our eyes and fall asleep because we trust that you will take care of us while we do. In fact, I think God could do more while you snore and drool than you could do in a lifetime, right? So what is it? Is it fretful labor or fruitful rest? Notice who he gives sleep to. I love this, verse 2. He gives sleep to his beloved. He loves you. He loves you. And he says to you, go to sleep, my beloved. I got this under control. Number two, God rewards with children. 
So God builds a house with children. God rewards with children. Verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. I like how verse 3 begins, behold, we even sing that today, didn't we? Some trend, maybe your translations drop it. I know some too, but I, I like it. I, I, right? I don't, maybe we should start using this word behold, I think. Behold, dinner is ready, right? Behold, it's time for bed, right? Uh, Right? In other words, get ready. I'm going about to tell you something. Listen. Listen up. You need to hear this. And what is it do we need to hear? We need to hear that children are a heritage from the Lord. They're an inheritance. They have immense value and worth, God says. He goes on and says they're a reward. They're incredible value. Psalm 113, verse 9 says, He gives the barren woman a home. And not a place to live. Listen. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. In other words, what Scripture tells us is that children are not burdens. Children are not interruptions with your plans or, or, or challenges to your pursuit of other goals. And you see what abortion does? It comes and it redefines a child as a product to assess, a cost to avoid, an interruption to get around. And, it's, of course, not just, not just abortion. Many people in our culture, we, just, we don't speak of children as blessings anymore. And I want to encourage you, beware of how you refer to your, talk to your children and talk about your children. Um, don't, don't ever, for instance, refer to your youngest child as an accident. It's not an accident. And you say to your youngest child, you know, mommy and daddy, we, we decided no more children, but how silly were we? God knew far better than us. We couldn't imagine our life without you. That's how you speak about children, right? You tell your children how precious they are to you. You tell them that you consider them to be God's gift. And you do this not simply with your words, but with your actions. You do this by spending time with them. I spent seven years as a youth pastor, and I'll tell you, I ministered to hundreds of youth. And I, I never met a single teenager who was upset with their dad because they were poor. Not one. Not, not one teen was, had a bad relationship with their parents because he didn't or she didn't have everything that the other kids have. But I, I met dozens of teenagers who were, who were suffering because their dad wasn't around because he's working so hard to get them things. You need to be with your kids. You understand that? Because when you're with your kids, you spend time with your kids, you communicate to your kids, you're more important than daddy's job, you're more important than daddy's interests, you're more important than daddy relaxing. I want to be with you. Their reward from, from the Lord. You see that there in verse 3, that children are from the Lord. I think we've become so naturalistic, we forgot that, that God is the one who is putting these children together. Psalm 139, as Craig read for us, says, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, the psalmist David said, The way God creates children in the womb ought to compel praise. Right? And, and, and how much more for us that we now know what David did not know. That God takes an egg and a sperm and puts them together, right? And don't worry, that's as far as I'll go. But three weeks later, there's a heart. Is that three weeks? Blood. There's own blood type. A few days after that, there's a brain thinking within six weeks, we know that the baby's moving around within 12 weeks. All organs are present and functioning, and the baby can cry all within three months. God does that. And that ought to evoke praise. 
Can you imagine at that time when most abortions occur, inserting a tool or taking a pill in order to destroy this gift being made by God? Instead, we need to see children as a blessing that God is creating them and ought to fill us with wonder and awe and praise for him. And I understand that when you hear this, maybe some here, when they hear this, this is a source of pain in your heart because you long for children and you do not have any. And, and so many people have asked, why won't the Lord give this blessing to me? Why, why, why would God withhold good things from his children whom he loves? And you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. But this, this is what I do know. I know God loves you. So much he would put his own son on the cross. He would give up his child for you so you could become his. I, I, know, I know that God only does what is good and right in his wisdom. I know that God knows your sorrows, that he is acquainted with grief. And I know that the world is full of orphans. Our land is full of orphans who, who want a mom and dad, who need a mom and dad. When we got, I know I've been sharing with you our journey into foster care. When we, we got approved for foster care, and we're, we're just on Clark, side, Clark County side of the border, so we're with Winchester, Frederick, and Clark D- Department of Social Services. And I'll tell you, with, I think the first, we got our approval, final approval, within those five weeks, we got seven potential placements. Every four days, the phone rang. We have a couple kids. Can you take them? We have this child. Can you take them? We have this child and needs a home. Can you take them? Our, 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 and just not the world, our land is filled with kids who need a mommy and a daddy, right? And I, I, I'll, I'll go beyond that. I, I believe, talking on the others who have adopted, that it will, it will make very little difference to your heart whether this child is yours by genetics or adoption, right? And so children, I believe, unequivocally are God's reward. Number three, uh, we see that the legacy is established through children. Look in verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I was teaching this passage to my children uh, last night, and I, and I asked them, I'll say, well, what, is it, what does he mean that children are like arrows? And my oldest son thought for a minute and said, well, they hurt a lot, right? <laughs> so that's true. I'm not sure that's what God means, though. Think about what, an, what do you do with an arrow? Well, you do two things with an arrow, as far as I know. You aim it and release it, right? And and so how are children like arrows? We aim them and we release them, right? We spend 18 years or whatever, 22 years, however, we're aiming them, pointing them at Christ, and then we we let them fly, right? That's the point of parenting. Let them go. And, 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 And that's, you see what the Bible says, that's your legacy. They go out and impact the world based upon the direction in which you have aimed them. In fact, we have seven arrows on our mantle, and each one of my child has given this arrow representing them to their mother. It's to remind us of this truth. I, and one day they'll leave. I don't know, will I, I'll shoot an arrow over their head as they go? I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but we want to remember, listen, we have these kids to point and release. I love what Jim Elliott said, who, uh, the great missionary that many of you have been impacted by, left this promising career in America to be a missionary in South America, and he, his parents were not pleased with that decision. And he said to them, I do not wonder that you are saddened at my word of my going to South America, but remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were a heritage from the Lord, and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? 
So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them straight at the enemy's hosts. I think that's what we want to do with our kids. That's where our legacy is going to be. And by the way, if you don't have natural children, that doesn't mean you don't have a legacy. I would simply refer, I could refer you to many, but just consider Paul who had no kids. You think he had a legacy? In fact, he, had, he did have children, not, not children in which he adopted or, or given to him biologically, but children in which he, he began to be a father-like figure. You think about Titus and Timothy, both of whom he said, you're my true sons in the faith. He wrote a letter to the church in Corinth and said, I admonish you as my beloved children. Well, fourth and lastly, I want you to understand that there is joy found in children. Look at verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And so that, that of course, has been the question, right, that we've, that's been asked. What, what's, what's a full quiver? Well, I'll tell you when I get there, okay? No, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm just kidding. Some of you freaked out a little bit, okay? Right? In fact, we... we you know, the fact that I have an infant in my home now for the last four months has, has helped me appreciate the difference between 43 and 28, okay? I, I understand. Um, and, every, of course, every family is different, and every family has different circumstances and different resources, and every family is going to reach a different conclusion on this, and, and these are not areas in which any of us ought to ever judge. And yet, at the same time, let, let me encourage you in this. Do not prioritize having a small family because you think children will be a burden to you, okay? That they're going to impact your travel plans or the kind of car you can buy or whether you go to the movies or not. They will impact those things. But the blessing in which you receive is far greater than the impact that they have. Blessed, it says there in verse 5, blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. Uh, Some translations put that happy is the man. And this is not the only place we see this. Genesis 1, verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Or Genesis 9, God blessed Noah and said to his sons, um, and blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Or Genesis 17, as for Ishmael, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. Or in Genesis 26, Isaac, I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring. You see, blessing and children, blessing and children, blessing and children. This is how God blesses. This is where joy and happiness and delight and blessings come. They come often. God gives us them to us through children. You say, well, how are, how are children blessing? Well, Children show you God's glory, don't they? I mean, they bear God's likeness, as we said. So you have the image of God filling your home. Children show you your sin. They bless you in that way, don't they? You know, they do this by mimicking you, right? And why is my son yelling at his hammer? Oh, yeah, right? I think he might have seen that somewhere, okay? And so you get to see your sin. Your kids will pick that up. They'll show you. They're like a mirror for you. Third, children give you opportunities to make disciples, don't they? They want to learn from you. Children are going to observe your life. They're going to watch your life. They want to see if daddy has his Bible open. Does daddy ever have his head bowed? You could lead them to know Christ. Four, children give you an opportunity to obey God. How many commands are specifically given to parents? And you have, parents have these wonderful opportunities for obedience to the Lord that that you would not have otherwise. Number five, they give you opportunities to learn Scripture. 
Because they will ask you questions when you open the Bible, right? So I can't get through a verse or two without someone, a hand going up, right? What does that mean? What, is, what does that mean, right? And, and, and you say, well, they ask why this or why that? And, and eventually you get exasperated and you say, because God said so, right? And then they say, why did God say so? And so you want to learn. Number six, children give you an opportunity for prayer. Do they not? They will confuse you. They will sometimes break your heart. And that will lead you to prayer. They will, they, they will fill you with delight and joy, and that will lead you to prayer. Number seven, children give you opportunities for patience. All right? Enough said? You guys got that one? Number eight, children will give you an opportunity to give grace, constant occasions to extend mercy to little sinners living in your house, constant opportunities for you to be like Christ to them. Number nine, children will destroy your self-focus because you'll come home tired and yet there's math to teach, isn't there? And there's dishes to wash and spankings to confer and diapers to change and then more diapers to change, right? And there, there's 2 a.m. feedings and ER visits and vomit in the carpet. And, and all of this is God's gift to destroy your self-focus, right? That it's not about you. Give yourself away. Number 10, children will love you like no other. You want to be loved? Have children. Now, your children may not love you more than others. They probably will not love you more than your spouse. But they will love you differently. They will love you unlike the way your spouse loves you. In fact, your children will love you in a way that you experience love from no one else. And you understand this because you all have parents and you know how you love them. In fact, I I mentioned I'm 43 years old. And for some reason, I don't know if I'll outgrow this. I haven't yet. But there's one person in my life who I want to say I'm proud of you. It's my dad. You know, not, and, and my dad he tells me all the time, it's not like we're unreconciled, but that's the man. For some reason in my heart, I want, I want daddy to think highly of me. I don't care if you, what you think of me, I want my dad to. Right? Some of you know that. I've been reading this book, um, What Every Man Wishes His Father Had Taught Him. And I'm in my office, and I'm either laughing out loud or bawling like a baby there. You know, the, the blinds are closed, and you see me, hear me weeping. That's what's going on. Because there's this powerful relationship. I can't understand it other than the fact that it mirrors our relationship with the Father, that, that, the Father in heaven that our fathers have with their children and moms have with their children. You want to, you want to feel love, have kids. You want to, um, number 11, the way children bless you. They bring out womanhood. They bring out manhood. You have kids, you become a different person, Right? You, if you have a child, uh, as a woman, you, you, this nurturing, at least in my home, this nurturing explodes. If, and when I had kids, I wanted to become a man. I wanted to be responsible. I wanted to, uh, it was time to grow up for me. It was time to, to, uh, to honor and to nourish and to provide and to protect. Number 12, they bless us because they teach us about God's love. If you ever think you have to earn God's love, have kids. And you will realize, oh, that's how my Father in heaven loves me. Because I love my children regardless, as do you, don't you? Because they're always our children. And we have this little saying in our house, and it's like, why? I tell, ask my kids this all the time. Why does Daddy love you so much? And they know the answer. And the answer is always because I'm your daughter. Because I'm your son. Not because I did this or didn't do that or avoided this. You know. Why does God love you? We were talking about that in Sunday school. God doesn't fall in love with you. It's not like he's, he's just enraptured with you. You're just so great. He just can't help but loving you. Why does he love you? Because you're his son. You're his daughter. And whatever you do, 
And whatever you don't do, you will always remain his son and his daughter, and he will always love you. Number 13, here we go. Children make you laugh. Do they not? They do funny things, amazing things, silly things, stupid things, and much of it brings joy. It's a constant source of happiness. Who else wants? Who who else is going to ask you for a horsey ride but your children, right? Who else is going to somersault to the dinner table or dance like nut jobs when a commercial comes on but your kids, right? I love what the great pioneer missionary David Livingston said when he wrote to a close friend. I hope you are playing with your children. And looking back, I have one regret, and that is not that I, and it is that I did not feel it my duty to play with my children as much as to teach the natives. I worked very hard at that and was tired out at night. Now I have none to play with. So, my good friend, play while you may. They will soon no longer be children. Number 14, cuddles, right? Hugs. Don't you love that? I can't sit on the couch without somebody in my lap. Um, they bring that joy to you. Number 15, friendship. I don't know how many weddings I've performed where the groom says, of all the men I know, I want my dad to stand next to me. Right? I want, it's my dad. He's my best friend. You know the relationship you have with your kids will last forever. When I live upon this new earth and my children live upon this new earth, you know what they're going to call me? It won't be Stephen, I'll tell you that. It will be daddy. It will be dad. I will be their dad forever. Number 16, blessings for old age. How are the elderly cared for? They're cared for by children. Financially, certainly, but relationally is far more important to battle that loneliness. Number 17, and lastly, let me tell you, that children bless you because they give you a strong witness for Christ. Look at verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Right? He's... He's, he can approach his enemies, and there is no shame there. And I think part of what this is teaching is that a home full of godly children is a powerful witness for Jesus Christ, especially in a day in, in which, in which the, the, you know, broken homes are the norm and, and so many families are, are struggling. A home, where I think, where children are valued and where, where God's blessing is obvious, I think it's a light in the midst of darkness. I tell you unequivocally today, based upon the authority of God's word, that children are a blessing. And so we ought to intentionally point them to Jesus and trust the Lord in that work and receive them as the blessing that they are. And part of that is we stand against abortion. We pray for the end of abortion. We are active to change the abortion laws on abortion. We speak up and persuade others concerning abortion. We care for women who are considering abortion, and we do so because children are a blessing. But you know there's a greater blessing, as great as they are. There is a a better blessing than having children, and that is, of course, being God's child. You know, the prophet Isaiah says, and we'll end with this, he says in Isaiah 56, verse 5, God speaking through the prophet, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You know what God is saying is that if you are in Christ today, your name is in God's house, right? He has your picture hanging on his wall. 
Because you belong to him. You are his child. The scripture tells us in John chapter one, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Are you God's child? Well, how do you, how do you become? Well, you do not become God's child by working hard or being good. You become God's child, as the scripture tells us, by believing in Christ. Believing in his name that he came to this world and died for your sin upon the cross as your substitute. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And now he calls with nail-pierced hands, extending grace and mercy to all who would receive it. You can be God's child if you would simply believe in me. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Not do you believe facts about him. Have you bowed your knee to King Jesus? That you might be God's child and be so forever. In fact, let us pray. Our Father, we are, we are thankful for the kids in our homes and the nephews and nieces and grandsons and granddaughters and spiritual children. We believe that they are all a blessing. It is such a joy to see so many children in this faith community, and we're thankful for that. We believe they come from you. And I know that uh, these moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents here, they believe that true too. Maybe, Father, you would even compel them today. Maybe this afternoon would be a great time to sit their, their child down and simply say, I need you to understand, you are God's great blessing to me. And that I am a richer man. I am a blessed woman because God gave you to me. Maybe this is... This would be the day in which grandparents would pick up a phone and call a grandson and granddaughter and say, just a quick message. I just want to tell you I thank God for you. And I believe you are his blessing to me. Father, may we, we fight against this demonic attitude against children. May you help us. We pray for those children who are wayward. I know there are broken hearts here. Children that have maybe been aimed straight and yet are, are flying crooked. We pray, Father, in your kindness to those who call you their father, that you, in your love for them, that you would love their children and their grandchildren, and you would bring about repentance in their life. We, we would rather them, Father, we, we would even welcome suffering and hardship into their life if that would bring about saving faith. We want them to be followers of Christ more than we want them to be successful and well-adjusted people. So please, we ask you in the name of Jesus to do this work. And of course, lastly, we pray here today for those who are not yet your children. Maybe they think, uh, as the world tells them, everyone's God's child. And yet scripture says something totally different. And that is only by being forgiven through the work of Christ, by placing their faith in Jesus that they might become your child. And maybe you might even work that in one's life here today. That They would pray even now silently, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he is the soon-coming Lord. And I surrender my life to him. I give you everything. Forgive me. And Father, if they would pray that out of the sincerity of their heart, and we know your word says that they now, just simply through that, not through the prayer, but through the commitment of their heart, they are your children. You have received them into your family. 
Grow your family today in this room, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.